So if you would be so kind enough to stand up on your feet, we'll get right to it. But before I do, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you today praying for your grace and your mercy. Asking you as always, God, as I preach your message, it's always to convict the sinner and to encourage and uplift the saint. Lord, allow your sweet spirit to continue to commune in this place. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Thank God. Amen. Amen. Today, I want to preach out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 17 through 23. Amen. I'll be reading out of the King James Version, so those of you with other translations, bear with me. Amen. Matthew chapter 4, verses 17 through 23, through 22. If you have it, signify with the amen. amen. And the text reads, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And they immediately left the ship in their father and followed him. Amen. Amen. I want to title this, The Follow Me Fisherman. Amen. I got two points for you today. The preaching of repentance and the follow me command. Amen. Let me give you some background on this text, or introduction, actually. Many people follow their dreams only to find out that their dreams don't fulfill them. Some people follow their hearts only to have it broken again. Many of us work in certain professions because we've decided to follow in the footsteps of our relatives. When cooking certain foods, it's important to follow directions. Otherwise, your garbage disposal will be full. Driving on the roadways, we all fail to follow the speed limit until the officer follows behind you, flashing those red lights. Investors follow the stock market to see where the money is. Crying lads follow certain procedures while investigating criminal cases. Soldiers. They follow orders because that's how the military works. Finally, fishermen and women follow the fish because that's what we came for. Now, I know a lot of good fishermen, but hands down, Jesus Christ was the best. If you just stick around for a while, New Beginnings, I believe I can provide the right bait, which is the word of God, to hook you to believe 
why Jesus was the best fisherman to ever live. So let's follow the facts, shall we? Let me give you some background on this text. We begin Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, with Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, I want you to know that Satan pulled out all the stops. Truth be told, New Beginnings, he still is. Jesus had fasted 40 days and 40 nights and was very hungry. Now, whenever you see the number 40 in the Bible, that is the number of test. How many days did it rain after Noah got into the boat in Genesis 7 and 12? 40. How many years were the Israelites in the desert? 40 years, right? 40 is the number of tests in the Bible. What we see take place in verses 3 through 11 is Satan trying to get Jesus to give in to the temptations being thrown at him. So Satan tempted Jesus with the three types of sin. You know what they are. The pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. Now, these three types of sin are found in 1 John chapters 2 and 16. Sin simply family is rebellion against a holy God. And it's the conception of lust and temptation according to James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15. Now, two things that are so important about this event. We get to see how the word of God is always a good defense against Satan. Second, we see Jesus did what Adam didn't do. You see, people of God, what happened in the Garden of Eden is a replay of what happened in heaven with Satan. The only difference was Satan was able to use his temptation and Adam and Eve's lust to do the dirty work for him by rebelling against a holy God and bringing forth sin in the garden. But ah, the word that became flesh, you know him as Jesus, was able to show us how it should have been done the first time. In 2016, saints, I want you to know your temptation is coming, if it hadn't already come. Maybe it's uh, revenge, or maybe it's uh, fornication, uh, maybe it's a little bit of drugs and alcohol, or maybe it's lying, or, or maybe it's just flat out downright gossip. So here's a word for you when your temptation does come. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13 says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God, listen to this, is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. In verses 12 through 15, we see the imprisonment of John the Baptist. You know John the Baptist, the forerunner for Jesus Christ, uh, John, the, the one who told everybody that Jesus was coming, that John, the one who ended up getting his head chopped off, that's the John I'm talking about. Along with Jesus of Nazareth, the place he grew up for Capernaum, and the fulfillment of prophecy quoted in Isaiah 9 and 1 and 2. Isaiah now, family, is an Old Testament major prophet who prophesies the following, the coming of the Messiah, the rejection of the Messiah, and the conversion of the Gentiles. Amen? Yeah. Now, verse 16 gives us an indication 
that Jesus began his ministry and brought light to an area considered to be the darkest spiritual location of Israel. Family, listen. When we move to Fresno Pacific New Beginnings, we too will be launching our ministry into an area that is riddled with darkness, full of the unchurched and spiritual dead folks. Somebody needs to hear that no matter how dark your situation is, Jesus can bring light to it and turn that thing around. He can turn it around. I want you to know that my Bible still says in the Gospel of John, verse, chapter 1, verse 5, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. That word comprehend in this particular context, it doesn't mean understand. It means that the darkness couldn't remove the light. The, the darkness couldn't get rid of the light. The darkness couldn't do nothing with the light. Somebody, you you in a dark situation right now, and you can't see a better tomorrow. You can't see a better next week. You can't even see a better next month. But I'm here to tell you that there's a better day, and there's light in Jesus Christ. There's light in the Lord Jesus. Next time you, you're sitting in that dark room, and you open up your blinds, and you, you, you open up your, your, your curtains, you might want to open up your Bible if you want some real light. Point number one, the preaching of repentance. And the text reads, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, the first thing that caught my eye, family, in this text is who the preacher is. Do you know we often forget that Jesus Christ is the greatest preacher ever? Not only was Jesus the greatest preacher ever, but he left us a commentary better known as the Bible. Now third, the word preach is the Greek word caruso, which means in this particular context, to preach, to declare, or to reveal the religious truth and the gospel's provision to remedy sin. Family, I want you to know that in 2016, New Beginnings, the gospel is still the only remedy to sin. I'm sorry, Buddha. Don't mean to make you mad. Actually, yes, I do. I'm sorry, Confucius. Don't mean to make you sad. Yes, I do. Jesus Christ in the gospel is the only thing that can remedy sin. The only, tell somebody, the only thing. Fourth, Jesus Christ uses a word that all sinners need to be familiar with. That word is repent, which begs the question, what does it mean to repent? Secondly, why do we need to repent? Let's fish for some answers to your questions, my friends. No pun intended. Now, valid repentance means having godly sorrow and is an act of turning around and going in the opposite direction. So therefore, repentance is a three-step process. The first step is the confession of sin to God. The second step is the forsaking of sin. And then the third step is turning to God. Now, for our second question of why we need to repent, all we need to do is to focus on the third step of turning to God to get the answer. 
You see, family, we need forgiveness of our sins, and that is only attained by God's pardon of our sins through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. For the Bible says in Luke chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, and Jesus answered and said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Somebody needs to know in 2016 that Jesus is still calling sinners to repentance. And let me tell you, that's good news. New beginnings. We will be joining the Savior in this quest to call sinners to repentance. And our new headquarters will be at Fresno Pacific College. For my fellow Christians, repentance should be part of our daily life. Daily life. Repentance should be to the Christian with hands and a hammer are to a carpenter. Always ready to use. Matter of fact, now I think about it, what is it that a carpenter does? A carpenter builds and repairs things. You see, when that old nature in me starts to unloosen itself, I turn to that Jewish carpenter, better known as the Messiah, so he can take his good old hammer and hammer it back down with the word of God. And you see, family, each swing of that hammer repels that old nature. And and as it repels that old nature, my new nature prevails. It prevails. I, I know somebody this week has been lied upon. I know somebody has been mistreated. I know somebody has been disrespected. But because of your new nature... You walked in righteousness and not in revenge. Tell somebody, I got a new nature. Kevin Tate, commenting on the text, states, You see, people of God, when we repent daily for our sins, we remind ourselves how much we still need Jesus. I know we're not in court, but can I get a witness? I noticed in the last part of verse 17, Jesus mentions that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, when you're reading the Bible, you you ought to wear your detective clothes, amen? Amen. And we have a clue here because we're looking for clues. He said, well, where's the clue, Tate? Kingdom of heaven. Now, why didn't he just say kingdom of God? Because Mark and Luke uses kingdom of God. That's a very good question. Let me see if I can answer that. The traditional Jews have so much reverence for the name Yahweh God that they only really used it on the day of atonement. Now, this is indicative of the fact of who our audience is. Matthew was writing to a predominantly Jewish audience. So he wants to stay in line with what and how they feel about the reverence of God. Amen. So this is a clue to who his audience is. Amen. Luke and Mark are writing to a Gentile audience. You see that? So that's why he's using the kingdom of heaven. Amen. 
As a matter of fact, the name was so holy as to believe that scribes, when they would write, come to the name Yahweh in the Bible, they would change pens, and some of them would go as far as bathing before they actually wrote the name. So I'm asking you a question today. What kind of reverence do you have for the Lord? Getting back to the text, it says, Jesus mentions that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, this makes sense to me because Jesus was a king by way of King David and our eternal king by the way of heaven. Now, what is the kingdom of heaven? That's another good question. The phrase kingdom of heaven suggests the rule of God. Jesus displayed evidence of the kingdom of heaven through his ministry, through his miracles, and the preaching of the gospel. The trouble was that the Jews believed in what they called the messianic hope. Now, what the messianic hope was, was a belief that in the Messiah's coming, he would usher in an era of peace and prosperity by defeating all of Israel's enemies. You have to think when Jesus came in at this time, the hatred between the Jews and the Gentiles were, was palpable. They hated the Romans. They hated anybody who wasn't a Jew. So they believed that Jesus was coming in to usher in an era of peace and prosperity. Now, ironically, they were now looking for a servant king to meet their spiritual needs, even though the Old Testament scriptures pointed to one. Folks need to know in 2016 that Jesus is the only king that can meet your spiritual needs. So bow the knee and crown King Jesus with your faith. The kingdom of heaven can be looked at in two ways, reign and realm. Reign deals with the fact that a divine God exercises his dominion over his citizens and his kingdom. In other words, this ain't no democracy, but it's a theocracy. What God says goes. Let me translate that for some of us. When God tells you to do something, do it. There's your translation. God's realm is universal, which implies he's omnipresent. In other words, you can't hide in no closet because God is there too. God is everywhere at all times. So you see, my friends, the message of repentance is one of the core principles of the Bible. That is why most preachers still preach it today, but none better than Jesus Christ. And as we move, people of God, Keep in mind how much sin is over there off of Chestnut and Butler. Keep in mind all those people that need us and how many sinners are over there. And it's time, it's, it's time for them to receive some preaching so they can repent. I stopped by to tell you, where there is sin and sinners, there is the need for the preaching of repentance. Point number two. The follow me command. Amen. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This scene is recorded in three or four gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now Luke's gospel 
gives the most depth, in-depth analysis by focusing more on what happened leading up to Jesus telling the four brothers to follow him. Whereas Mark and Matthew, they get straight to the point. Now, there are several things I see in this verse. Let me tell you what they are. Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. Can I ask you a question, family? How many times have you let Jesus walk past you? And how many more opportunities do you think Jesus is going to give you to call on him for salvation? Now, Galilee was a Roman province located in northern Israel in New Testament times. The other two provinces of Samaria and Judea was located south of Galilee. Galilee was a racially mixed area, gaining it the nickname Galilee of the Gentiles. Now, a Gentile is anybody who wasn't a Jew. And the name Galilee means circle or region. Now, the Sea of Galilee was a freshwater lake that was 13 miles long north and south, eight miles wide east and west, surrounded with the rough cliffs and rough mountains, excluding its southern side. So in other words, it was shaped like a horseshoe. Then our text states, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Can I tell you a little bit about these two men? But first, I noticed Matthew calls Peter by his original name, Simon, but watch this, but states called Peter. Now, this name change came about in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17. When Jesus was asking the disciples, who do they think the son of man is? You see, family, when you meet Jesus, your name shouldn't be the only thing that Jesus changes. Your lifestyle should change as well. You see, Simon was his name pre-Jesus, but Peter was his name after he met Jesus. Somebody needs to know I used to have a lifestyle as a drug dealer, a drug user, fornicator, a liar, a hustler, a user of people with nicknames like the Gold Rush, the Purple Leo, and 14 Karat. But when I met Jesus, my lifestyle changed, and so did my name. I'm married now with four beautiful kids and one gorgeous wife. Brother Tate, Reverend Tate. Deacon Tate, your Christian brother are my new names, I answer to. And I want you to know that Jesus could do the same for you. He could do it. He could do it. Peter. Peter was a fisherman. We always think about Peter and how he denied Christ. But if we be honest with ourselves, we've all had a little bit of Peter in us. He was a fisherman from Capernaum who would become part of Jesus' inner circle with James and John. He was known to be hasty, easily angered, fearful, and bold. Peter was acknowledged as the 12 disciples' leader. He also wrote two epistles in the New Testament, which are named after him. He also was basically the one who gave Mark the gospel of Mark. Amen? His name means rock. Andrew, on the other hand, started out as a disciple of John the Baptist, according to John chapter 1, verses 
35 through 40. Now he too was a fisherman from Capernaum and lived with his brother Peter. One of the most notable things Andrew is known for is bringing a young man with his five loaves of bread and two fish to Jesus when Jesus fed 5,000 in John chapter 6, verses 8 through 9. Now, you guys are like this fella. His name means manly. Do we got some manly men in this place? I know we do. Because if you're serving Jesus, you got to be manly. <clears throat> The text then states they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, fishermen in that day caught fish for food or uh, uh, for commercial businesses. Fishermen had a reputation for being very diligent workers, blunt in speech, rough in demeanor. Thus, you got a mouth like a sailor, right? Y'all heard that? Fishermen used several ways to catch fish. Some used lines and hooks harpoons and spears, but the preferred way was a net. The province of Galilee's economy depended heavily on fishing. Now, as you read this text, what I, what I want you to catch is while they were casting their nets in the water, Jesus was going to cast his net in their hearts. Can I ask you another question? Where are you casting your net at? Are you casting your net into a sea of sin? Or are you casting your net in places that help further the kingdom, like ABI, like Bible study, like revivals, like life groups? Where are you, New Beginnings, casting your net? Amen. New Beginnings, God is telling us. It's time to cast our evangelism nets at Fresno Pacific. It's time to help further his kingdom over there. It's time to cast our missional nets at the Mesquita Center to further God's kingdom. It's time to minister to the drug addicts over there. It's time to minister to the single moms over there. It's time to minister to the felons over there. It's time to minister to the gangbangers. It's time to minister to the hopeless. It's time to minister to the depraved. It's it's time to minister over there by Fresno Pacific with all those folks hurting, looking for the gospel to come and help them. It's time. It's time to cast our nets. And as they, as they cast their net physically, Jesus was ready to show them how to cast the net spiritually. Their nets could only catch fish physically. But Jesus was looking to promote them to broaden their horizons. Is anybody out there looking for a promotion from Jesus? How about a promotion from hell to heaven or death to life? How about a promotion from unrighteousness to righteousness? Oh, new beginnings. In 2016, it's available to you through the Lord. Jesus Christ. Verse 19, it, it reads, it says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is a command with the bonus people of God. You know what a command is? A, a command is an order given, when the order is given, that a person should follow and obey. Amen? There is pursuit from Jesus in this command. There is an invitation to join Jesus in this ministry and this command. 
Oh, my fellow saints, the Lamb of God is asking us to join him over at Chestnut and Butler at the FPU campus. There is turning from our will and getting into God's will in this command. There's promotion from fishing for self to fishing for Jesus in this command. And there is leadership from Jesus in this command. Whose will, I ask, are you in? Is it your own or is it Jesus' will? You see, the problem with us saints is we want God to be our provider. Yeah, yeah, we want that. But we don't want God to be our decider. No, we don't want him to be. Truth be told, we want God the genie, not God the sovereign king. We want to tell God what we want and not follow directions. Trump says he wants to make America great again. But I say, let's make America godly again. You can't, can't make America great without God. Matter of fact, we... We, we believe that so much, we, we, we made a song about it. How great is our God, right? <clears throat> Verse 20, and it reads, it says, And they straightway left their nets and followed him. Getting to verse 20, that word straightway is another word for immediately, right? Peter and Andrew were decisive in their action of obedience. Their obedience to the command was immediate. You know what obedience is? It's to hear God's word, and this is where we struggle. We hear God's word, but we don't always perform accordingly. See, that's, that's obedience. When you hear God's word, you perform accordingly. Amen? We expect him to perform accordingly. <clears throat> See, in this command, there was no stalling. There was no thinking about it. There was no collecting of their fishing equipment. There was no running to their families to tell them, I'm following Jesus. It was just obedience. For the Bible says in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15, if, if, if you love me, obey my commandments. Somebody needs to be encouraged that it's time to leave that sinful thing that has you caught up and follow Jesus. It's, it's time. Maybe it's, a, it's money or maybe it's envy or maybe it's a horrible relationship. Maybe it's a gambling. Maybe it's laziness or maybe it's just playing downright on fear. But it's time to follow Jesus and follow that command. Obey, the, obey God because he, he has a righteous past that he wants you to follow. Don't wait. Do it now. Do it now. Don't wait. It's time. Obey the Lord's commandments. Amen? And going on from thence, he saw other two brethren, James and the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and they immediately left the ship in their father and followed him. Looking at verse 21, we see Jesus at it again. You see, Jesus sees two more brothers because he wasn't stuck inside the four walls. James and John, also known as the son of thunder. Let me tell you about these two brothers, Zebedee's boys. James 
is assumed to be the oldest brother. And that is why his name is always mentioned first. Now, James could be vindictive and explosive, arrogant and self-serving, as displayed by he and John asking Jesus if they can sit on the right hands and left hands in glory. Right? Remember that? James is the only disciple to actually have his death recorded in Scripture as he was put to death by the sword by Herod Agrippa in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. Now, John, on the other hand, was just as vindictive and explosive as his brother. He was one of the core three of uh, Jesus' inner circle, along with Peter and James. Both John and James were in the fishing business together with Peter and Andrew. John wrote the Gospel of John, he also wrote the epistles of 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, along with the book of Revelations. He also was asked, while the Savior was on the cross, to take care of his mother Mary as Jesus hung on that cross, right? That was that John. Continuing on in verse 21, we see the brothers are in a ship with their father, mending their net. Now, why would that be important? Why? Well, more than likely, they got into the family business because of their father. Remember when I told you that many of us work in certain professions because we've decided to follow in the footsteps of our relatives? Well, this applies to James and John until they get the call from Jesus, right? And 21 says, and going on from thence, he saw other two brothers, James and the son of Zebedee, and his, John, his brother, in the ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. But we are not done here, family, because there's something else that we need to understand. They were mending their nets, right? And then Jesus called them. Now, the term mend means to repair, to restore to a sound state, to advance to a better state to improve. Somebody needs to know in 2016 that Jesus is calling you so he can mend you spiritually and in some cases physically. Jesus wants to restore you to a sound state and advance you to a better state. The Savior wants to advance you from a sinful state to a sanctified state, from a bondage and liberty to a, li a liberty in Christ state. Jesus wants to approve you, family, and he wants to do it now. The same is true for our building situation. This building was falling apart with broken toilets, leaking roof, falling roof, faucets that didn't work, and etc. And God said it's time, New Beginnings, to advance us to a better building situation over there off of Chestnut and Butler. It's time. As James and John were mending the net physically, Jesus was planning to teach them how to mend sinners' lives spiritually to advance sinners to a better state i know there's some saints in here who had jesus improve them to a better state if it wasn't for the lord when i got sick if it if it wasn't for the lord when I got shot at, if it, if it wasn't for the Lord when my, my car broke down, or if it wasn't for the Lord when my, my friends turned their backs on me, if it, if it wasn't for the Lord when I lost my job, if it, if it wasn't for the Lord, I don't know where I would be. You know what I found out? All police lineups need a good witness. 
And right now, so do I. Can I get one? The text states they immediately left the ship, right, and their father. Now, I had to contemplate this. Ships. Ships are also known as boats and as, as vessels. And what do vessels do? Carry cargo. Be aware that the Christ is calling you to become his vessel to carry his cargo, which is the word of God. Oh, Lord. If, if your cargo you're carrying is causing your ship to sink, maybe it's because you're carrying the wrong kind of cargo. You see, my cargo today is packed with the gospel of Matthew. Tomorrow, it might be Romans. Tuesday, it might be Genesis. Wednesday, it might be Revelations. But I'm going to tell you one thing for sure. It's going to be all about God. That's what my cargo carries. And FPU, I want to let you know, New Beginnings is coming with some godly cargo to drop on you, to teach you, to preach to you, to get you to repent over there. That's what we're going to do with that. Amen. Also in verse 22, I noticed that they decided that following in their father's footsteps was no longer in the plans. In other words, you can see that they left the material things to follow Jesus. They left their relationships to follow Jesus. They left everything to follow Jesus. Sometimes that's the way I got to be. Somebody needs to know that Jesus is ready for you to follow him in 2016. And that might require you, my brother or my sister, to leave your parents, to leave your job, to leave your friends, to leave your material things, to leave your current church building location, and most of all, to leave your comforts of life. I'm telling you, new beginnings. The follow me command. It's still happening today, and you can be a part of it. So don't fight it, because this was the story of the Follow Me Fisherman. Amen? Amen. So in conclusion, we talked about the preaching of repentance, what it means to repent and why we need it. We discussed the Follow Me command, what the command is, and how we need to obey the command to follow Jesus and become fishermen of men. Here's the application. This is what this means to you. In order to become a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, you have to repent from your sins by asking God for forgiveness of your sins. Repentance is the only way an unrepentant sinner can be saved from the wrath of God. For the believer, repentance puts you back in the perfect will of God. And it's something we must do daily, along with prayer, to present ourselves from becoming a carnal Christian. Turn away from your old sinful lifestyle and don't go back. After you repent from the sin in your life, follow Jesus immediately and obey his call. The Savior wants to lead your life, 
Jesus is still using the same bait, which is his word, to have men repent and follow him to become fishers of men. Jesus modeled so we can follow. It's the Great Commission. You see, that's not how this story has to end, no. The story has to go back to that place and to that instrument of death that we call the cross. You see, before he was put up on that cross, they beat my Jesus severely all night long. He was beyond recognition. Then they hung him on an old rugged cross. They put nails in his hands, a crown of thorns on his head. But yet and still he found the strength to say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He died on Friday. Saturday will come, and nothing happened. Why? Because he remembered the Sabbath and kept it holy. But early, early Sunday morning, he would raise up with all power in his hand. He's not a dead savior. He's a living savior. He's alive. He lives in me. And if you're saved and you have the faith, he lives in you. You don't have to be defeated. We got victory at the cross. We got victory in our lives. And we got victory in eternity. Jesus Christ is still on the throne. He ain't went nowhere. Jesus Christ is my Savior. Amen. Amen. Glory. You might be here and you might say to yourself, Brother Tate, I was convicted about that word repent. And you don't know Jesus for yourself. Would you stand, family, with me as the preachers come forward?